BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. We stay the course. We are dead. We are all we were supposed to make the world a better place. What happened? I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! I know Kung Fu. You either die a hero, or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! This whole thing is insane! This whole thing is insane! 300 years ago, you'd have been burned at the stake. What do all men of power want? More power. This is now the United States of Zombieland. This whole thing is insane! Man is evil, capable of nothing but destruction! Everybody is stuck with the things that they're not proud of. More power. Welcome to the desert of the real. More power. There can be only one. Are you a God-fearing man, Senator? You're such a strange phrase. I've always thought of God as a teacher, as a bringer of light, wisdom, and understanding. You see, I think what you really are afraid of is me. Happy heresies and welcome to the desert of the real. We write our own gospel and live our own myth. Welcome to the audio version of Aeon Byte Live, episode 33. Raw, uncensored, and unfiltered, just like the truth you've been looking for across all your existences. Supercharged by stellar audience participation. On this blasphemy, our topic was Gnosis in a Time of Pandemic and Social Unrest. It's time to give some kind of a Gnostic take to the Archon infestation of 2020, beyond my intro drivels of the recent past. Don't expect that much of a political or statistical discussion, but more of an understanding of how Gnostic concepts can help you navigate many of the issues today for peace and clarity. 
Of course, we'll discuss other relevant issues on Gnostic studies and discoveries. Our astral guests included Lainey Peterson, Scott Smith, and of course, the Moondog. Quite a panel and quite a discussion in these Gnostic times, Philip K. Dick world and Age of Hermes. Sophia, blessings for those of you who continually support this venture. I can't do it without you. Please continue to help me grow this red pill cafeteria. We need Gnosis more than ever, needless to say, and we've only just begun reaching those who need to wake up. You won't find this high-quality Gnostic and Hermetic wisdom or guess in their unique insights anywhere else in cyberspace or even meat space. And FYI, in a few days, get ready for a show on approachable exercises and techniques from Gurdjieff's Fourth Way. More usable Gnosis for thee in the month of Janus. And July's gonna be even more intense, I assure you, with shows on Jung, the Archons, Extraterrestrials, and much more. But enough of my short drivel. Led us to our latest AB Live. The Empire Never Ended. Well, party num down and warm leather reps. For, for some reason, I always get a commercial. Oh look, Joe Biden wants me to give him money. All right, Joe, we got we got a show here to do. Yes, we are live. Awesome. Uh, well, welcome everybody to Aeon Bite Live. Welcome to the desert of the real, that distant ship smoke on the horizon, and it is uh, episode of the live show, episode thirty-three. So that has some significance, and tonight we are going to address. Well, what is, what can, there's so much to address. We're going to address 2020, pandemic, <laughs> the social unrest, all that from a Gnostic point of view. So hopefully we will bring you some uh, some good advice, some, uh, how we say it around, some sucker, if you would. And uh, But first, some house cleaning. Again, this as always, this will be on all our Channels, our audio channels, iHeartRadio, Spotify, iTunes, you name it. Audio version coming out in a couple of days. If you have any questions for those of you in the chat room, please write them down in caps with questions. Perhaps write down the name of who you would like to address. And Vance will get to them when he can. Other than that, it's great to have this August audience who we've had before. So first, I'd like to say good evening, Lainey Peterson. How are you? I am great, Miguel. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for being here. Always awesome to have you in and enjoying the weather here in Chicago. Are you? I know oh, I am. I know I am. I know. And we don't get a whole lot of good weather here in Chicago, so I'm going to take it whenever I can get it. There you go. Good things. Good things. And also with us, we've got Scott Smith. Scott, how are you doing tonight? Well, based on the temperature that gets taken every day at my retail job, I am not a zombie. <laughs> You're still alive, huh? <laughs> Allegedly. That awesome. was yesterday, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Today's today. 
and also always having the pleasure to have the wingman himself, the moon dog, Van Sachi. How are you doing, Vance? Not too bad, considering I've been in the moon dog house for almost three months without actually, well, I can't say I didn't step out, but I go for short walks with nobody around. But other than that, I'm well, doing all right. All right. Well, good deal. Yes, these are strange days indeed. But Very. all I have to say is, uh, and I've said this in my intro, think our guests will do a much better job, but these are the best times to be awake. Yes. This is the time to really look inward, look outward, and find your place. I don't know if that means thrive. I don't know. I don't know if that means succeed. But this is the time where you can really find your place in the universe and who you are. Can't think of a better time, and uh, that's something that Gnosis is great at doing because you definitely have to look inward. And you definitely have to break down reality and see where things are. So, again, greatest time to be alive. And I did love a um, – there was a saying that came to me or that I read, and it goes, uh, when all else fails, read the instructions by Agnes Allen. And I think that makes sense. I think this is a good time to get to basics, whether your instructions are the Bible, the Quran, uh, childhood fairy tales – what your grandmother told you about uh, making it in life. Because mm -hmm. one thing I can say for certain is that history does not repeat, but it definitely rhymes. rhymes. Uh, there is <laughs> nothing new under the sun. When I'm looking at today, I start thinking about the late 60s, how in Woodstock was in the middle of a pandemic and all the social unrest and so much going on. And probably even more intense than today for those who study about the 60s. I think everybody in this panel was wasn't really an adult in the 60s, late 60s, but there was people, there was civic leaders being killed and uh, politicians. It was cities with 200 or plus riots happening all the time, man on the moon and everything. So uh, again, there's so much in history that we can take from and there is nothing original and we can see the lessons that are out there. But enough of my drivel. So I'd like to get to Lainey. Lainey, so tell us, what is your take on the pandemic from the standpoint of a, a witness to these strange times and an Gnostic bishop? Yeah, you know, it's the, for me, it's the, the, um, the crumbling of institutions that's been happening. You know, people have been feeling that, that we're not getting any good leadership. Everybody thinks that somebody else is lying and there's a conspiracy therapy th th uh, theory, not just every day, but it's about every hour. <laughs> Um, and uh, I've been dealing with this uh, as a volunteer in the city I, for a while, uh, starting in March and, and, and throughout through May, I helped to staff a phone line, hotline, for people who needed help. And, you know, I, just things were coming at me this way, that way, and everything was changing every day as well. We were getting new information, new guidelines, and kind of watching the breakdown, not only of the, of the city, but also walk, watching and witness, being, being a witness to the breakdown in faith and institutions and people having to suddenly rely solely on themselves or on their neighbors. Uh, it's, it's, I've been a witness to this history, and it's been quite astonishing. Um, but, you know, this, this is what, we're, what we've reaped. We've got uh, archons, uh, in very high places, and uh, the those, and we have people who are being ruled by those archons in very high places, and this is the kind of, if not chaos, uh, at least this kind of murky 
play uh, this murky prison that I think a lot of people were, were trying to sludge, we're trying to slog on through right now, and that's due to powers that be uh, having treated people terribly, and now nobody has any faith in what they're saying. Yeah, yeah, I believe you had a great analogy when we were chatting on Facebook about it's uh, what's the analogy? Somebody came with a light and. The detective. Oh well, no! What I said is, is like, I said this. This the, the pandemic has been like a black light on a Motel Six a hotel room, and you're you know you're getting we're seeing everything, all the sins that have taken place in that particular. All the spots of semen you see in detective movies and the blood, and you know, and God only knows what else. And, but yeah, it's a it's a black light, and we're we're, we're just seeing it all right now, um, and it's it's happening. It's not happening in equal. Sure, of course, because some people are feeling the strains are on. But uh, this has definitely been something that has opened, has well, there's an opportunity to have your eyes opened if you're not turning away. And what do you tell people in the Gnostic community? What kind of uh, advice? Obviously, as you've said in this show, you do your candle ceremony, which yeah. brings a lot of comfort to people. Mm -hmm. Anything else, or what is part of your you might say helping the flock. Yeah, the yeah, I think you made you said it. It's the back back to basics. It's you know it's the it's the continuity. It's the ritual, uh, whether whether it's ritual, whether it's your your reading, your practice, what what you're doing. And I think that that for a lot of people is at least giving people a foundation. It's not all of it, because we of course can't we we can't sleep right now. We have to be awake right now, or else we're just going to get steamrolled. But having that foundation that keeps us grounded, I think, makes it a lot easier to stay awake in a time of just enormous pain. And this is frightening. You know, this has been just incredibly frightening for, I think, a lot of people, including myself. And so it's, it's staying grounded um, and doing what is necessary to stay grounded, I think, is very important. Yeah. Yeah, because as we were talking before the interview, you said you went down to the courthouse and just a riot popped out of somewhere, like a, it was, I like wasn't a storm actually down cloud there. coming, you know, that's the new normal. Like, but I've got uh, people in law enforcement, I was being told, yeah, there was, there was just this riot that, you know, and then it went away, and there it was. Um, but yeah, that, you know, that, that's happening these days, and there's <clears> nothing to really be done about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even just, you know, familiar everyday things went into a corner restaurant over here, which is now opened. You can go sit in the parking lot. You have to order inside. But, you know, the entire kitchen and ordering area is wrapped in plastic and you've got to conduct everything through a sheet of plastic <laughs> and everybody's wearing masks. And it's, it, it's, it, it is surreal. And it, it, if, it, it, you know, I can understand why some people are, are, are actually cracking up. So it's that business of being grounded and that practice of stuff that we've been training ourselves for a long time, uh, can't, can't let that go right now. No, indeed. Well, let's go to you, Scott. Uh, you have already written about uh, COVID-19 and the pandemic on LinkedIn, mm -hmm. but uh, give the audience your take on this. So I see this as a, a really revolutionary moment where Essentially, um, COVID-19 is the Trojan horse that gets inside the fortress of the brainwashed masses 
And for, um, you know, a couple of hundred thousand years of, of human uh, evolution, um, it was very comforting when there was an average of 25 or 50 percent of those born dying in childhood to say, well, you know, we don't understand the gods. And of course, originally, um, God wasn't all good. There were a multiplicity of gods. Mm -hmm. And so they clung to traditional religions of all kinds, East and West, North and South. And now that whole notion that we pretty much sealed ourselves off from for the last century into this 21st century ivory tower where we haven't experienced a plague uh, since the 75 million have died in, from the 1918 flu. And we thought we were immune from this. Here we are doing globalization, uh, 5G, artificial intelligence. You know, we're, we're moving forward and upward. And suddenly, um, a great deal of the notions of modern life are being completely shattered. Um, a lot of this is due to, especially American, ignorance, thanks to our school system, thanks to the fact that people don't read much anymore and they don't know history. Um, the best example of that is that they recently did a survey of college juniors and 25% of them could not pick the century in which the American Civil War was fought in. So if you're going to assume that Americans know something about the history of epidemics, uh, <laughs> you know, that's uh, uh, very optimistic. Uh, most of them would be surprised to know that in the 20th century, and we had a vaccine starting in 1960, um, 300 to 500 million people died around the world of smallpox. Now, most people wouldn't know that smallpox largely declined over the ages just from sanitation. But the, the point is people have been walled off from this awareness of history by their willful ignorance. Um, and, you know, uh, once in a while somebody says, oh yeah, there was that black death back in the Middle Ages, you know, the 14th century, it killed a third of Europe. Some people who have European heritage might know about that. Very few people would know that 95% of Native Americans, and that is the entire hemisphere, died of the diseases that the Europeans brought over. Um, so, you know, given that ignorance, obviously the pandemic of the coronavirus catches us off guard. Not that the experts didn't see it coming. I mean, there was a 19, uh, 19, uh, there was a 2017 cover of Time Magazine saying we're not prepared for the coming pandemic. You know, there, it was really obvious if you're going to do globalization and um, you're going to eat animals, especially in Asia where they have the, uh, the exotic taste, but also our factory farming mm -hmm. is introducing all kinds of diseases and antibiotics uh, Fried Zakaria just did a GPS editorial on this saying, don't blame the Asians. Uh, mm -hmm. You look at what's going on in factory farming. It's an invitation to antibiotics and uh, all kinds of diseases es escaping into uh, diseases that impact you. And I see the cat agrees on that point. Yes, he does. <laughs> uh, and wants attention. So 
uh, you know, some some of your listeners will know that I was um, one of the, the kind of the co-founders of Vegetarian Times and its uh, predecessor. And one of the reasons I'm hopeful about this being an opening for Gnosticism is because I, uh, you know, back in the '70s when we got started, uh, this you know, vegetarians were like one to two percent of the population. Now I think it's up to three percent. But um, this is really uh, opening up um, a lot of awareness that maybe we really ought to cut down on meat in general. And there's never been a greater opening, especially with the evolution of plant-based alternatives. Mm -hmm. Now, for people that want to really strengthen the argument here that we're ready to smash down the, uh, this idol of the benevolent God, um, you know, there are books out there that are very accessible, like Jared Diamond's Guns, Germs, and Steel, that gives some of the, uh, the epidemic uh, statistics, Yuval Harari species. Um, the information is out there. It's gradually getting into the intellectual mainstream. But, you know, we don't even need the uh, infectious epidemics to persuade us that the good God is a little out of date and, and a big lie because how about cancer? You know, how about the 7,000 genetic diseases or the 400 mental disorders? Um, how mainstream religion, East and West, got away with the idea uh, and also the New Agers that say it's all good. You know, God rested on the seventh day and said everything's very good. And uh, this, all the while, you look at human history and like if an alien came here, they would say, what the hell are you guys talking about? You have a disaster going on here. Uh, for all the New Agers that think, oh, well, don't worry about it. You know, you'll just reincarnate and into a better life. Not likely. Um, you know, <laughs> if you look at human history, you're going to end up, you know, in um, some ghetto in Africa or uh, Asia or somewhere in rural China, just barely surviving. Uh, the 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 evidence is overwhelming. Uh, for those who would like to kind of see in writing the documentation on all this, I recently did a uh, a blog, a very long blog, which you can find either on LinkedIn under my name in West Hollywood, California. Um, I have a whole series of blogs going on there, and it's called um, The Case for Gnosticism, Number 10, The Big Issues That Religions Ignore. Uh, it's also posted on the God Reconsidered page on Facebook, for those who want to find it, and all the Eon Bide interviews. But the reason I wrote this was, it's so obvious that there, that the creator of this world is not benevolent. Um, at best, evolution is a thoughtless, you know, atheistic process. But if you recognize the supernatural dimension, um, you've, then you've got to find something that, that reconciles that. And I think Gnosticism is the only path that does. So uh, I believe that this is the opening we've been waiting for. And, you know, we've, there's been this, this increasing number of people who are realizing that no traditional uh, explanation for religions really works, and they're kind of in that uh, agnostic space now. Now, one last thing I'd like to focus on, since I have a background in the healthcare field, 
I did write this thing called, uh, for LinkedIn, uh, called The Myth of Casual Distant Transmission of COVID-19. And I'd like to mention a couple of things that I think have distorted the discussion. First of all, look at the uh, deaths per million in the U.S., 321 when I last looked a week ago, okay? Germany has a third of that. Japan has four per million compared with our 321. Korea, five. China claims three, and actually, since I'm a business reporter too, um, the CEOs I interview say things are pretty much back to normal there, so they're probably not cheating. But wherever you look in the world, everybody else is doing better than our stupidity because we've got, if you take our numbers, 40% of those are in nursing homes. And we didn't really even address that till the middle of April after we had the lockdowns that seemed to be succeeding. How can all these brilliant experts have not foreseen the nursing home problem mm -hmm. exploding? Now you take 40% of the numbers away uh, and then the 321 deaths per million becomes significantly less. Uh, it would surprise most people to know, probably, that there's only a 6% fatality rate from COVID-19. And the more testing you do, the more we're finding that a lot of people were asymptomatic and, and uh, they had very mild cases. Uh, and even more surprising <clears throat> is that... Uh, there are actually, there's less than one person that the average coronavirus positive person infects. Um, there have been a number of uh, articles on this in the New York Times and elsewhere recently. And, and again, I've got links to a lot of this stuff on my LinkedIn blog. Um, another thing that is not clear to people is they have this idea that if you get near somebody, that it's kind of like the measles or pneumonia or something and um, and that you're going to catch it. So um, I work in retail and, you know, when people get into uh, someone else's six-foot space, you know, they start freaking out. Just to clarify, what the CDC and WHO actually said was the purpose of masks is in case you can't have that six-foot space. But it's all based on the idea that a sneeze will go be infectious, 200 million particles, about three feet. You've seen videos that say, oh, they go 21 feet, but that's not infectious at that rate. The, the six-foot space is pretty darn safe. And if you put a mask on, the person sneezing and the person who might be the victim of that they're going to be pretty well protected, never mind the plastic barriers at the register. But here's what people are overlooking. You know, they, they will tell you, don't touch your face uh, if you think that you've touched something that might have virus on it. So, you know, the mucous membranes where it can get in are the mouth, the nose, and the eyes. Well, nobody's wearing goggles. Now, <laughs> you know, surgeons... You know, they'll, they'll wear a mask and they'll wear goggles when they get really close to somebody. You know, that's, that's a different situation. But, you know, I, I see 4,000 4, people a day go through and they have these flimsy little masks on and, and nobody's dying in the aisles and stuff. So the notion that this is, you know, highly infectious and that um, with some sensible precautions, you may not survive, you may not even get out the store and stuff. This is all overblown. If you are careful and you particularly 
are good about sanitizing your hands and stuff like that, you're going to be safe. Now, there are situations where they, there's a theory that there, some people are super spreaders and, you know, you get into a nightclub or, you know, a, a closed space and people could infect each other. They're talking loudly in a bar or so, you know, something like that at, at close range. But, but by and large, if you take sensible precautions, um, you'll, you can remain safe. And I'll add one last thing, and that is that if you look at the last Halloween show that um, Sandra, my wife, and I did, uh, it's, you, can get, you can search this on um, YouTube, uh, called The Cult of Paranormal Skeptics. And I, we made the point that a lot of the, these guys who are hardcore militant atheists, um, you know, they say they're just being, being science-based, but they also think that any kind of alternative medical stuff is superstitious. And as we point out, there's actually a tremendous amount of scientific evidence that you can build up your immunity against anything. And um, so we've, we've had a lot of experience. I managed a, an alternative medical clinic. Um, there's a great book out by Phyllis Balch called Prescription for Nutritional Healing that has all the clinical evidence in it. So people who are worried about their health and COVID-19, build up your immunity. It's easy to find out about, and uh, it will help you and everybody you come in contact with to be safe. Wonderful. But Scott, what about maybe just as important, maybe even more important, what advice do you do to keep yourself sane or spiritually grounded? I mean, even beyond that, the big concern is somebody who's embedded in people in recovery is this lockdown is breaking a lot of psyches. Uh, people are relapsing, people are losing their jobs and going into depressions. But you know, that's life. You get these historical dark waves where bad things happen and people are under an immense amount of stress. What, uh, what spiritual advice to give people during these hard times or uncertain times even? Right. So on the positive side, um, you know, I, I tend to emphasize gnosis or the first part of gnosis. Um, if you're going to base your belief in a fairy tale, uh, that's not a good basis for inner peace because the first tidal wave that comes along, you're going to be swept up by it. Um, so I, I'm a believer in recognizing that um, we need to rethink, you know, um, what the basis is for our philosophical path. Now, the other side of that, of course, with Gnosticism is the insight that we have a direct connection to the divine. Anybody can experience this. And there are, in God Reconsidered, my book, I, I have a chapter where there's about 15 different techniques that the ancient Gnostics use, in which we can. And the most obvious ones would be a prayer. I, I'm a big believer in generating synchronicities or um, what you might call miracles that at least that appear to us as mortals um, by doing several things and and i've and sandra and i have had a lot of experience with this uh, by doing um, two things in particular one is prayer and um, i have a list of all the the um, friends who have passed on my mentors spiritual guides and so forth and uh, i do a prayer, uh, 
several times a day to stay in touch with them and, and channel their blessings and energy. And I also do meditation every day. And it doesn't really matter what the, the type of meditation is. I am also a big believer in the benefits of psychotherapy. And of course, uh, Carl Jung uh, was by any definition, and I've got a whole um, blog on this, uh, number eight, um, on my uh, Facebook uh, God Reconsidered page about why he really was a, a, a Gnostic, and, and a lot of the modern unions tried to deny that and turn it into their own little secular cult. But um, if you get grounded uh, by either something like psychotherapy and uh, the HBO series, uh, which you can get probably on Netflix, called In Treatment with Gabriel Byrne, uh, gives you a glimpse of how psychotherapy can work to give you insight that you might not otherwise have. And I went through eight years of Jungian dream analysis, and that made a huge difference. The other program that you and I share is 12-step programs. So I've, I've been doing three Zoom meetings a week, and they're almost as good as the in-person ones. Uh, people who really feel like they're falling apart can probably find a Zoom program that will speak to what their issues are. And um, you can also now, in most states, you can start to get together with people if you keep your distance and wear a mask and things like that, if you feel like you're going crazy. But this is also an incredible time to read the books that we never had time to read. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think one of the things that you probably know better than I, uh, Miguel, having gone through, and I'm still going through for the umpteenth time, your voices of Gnosticism and other voices of, Gnost of Gnosticism is that, you know, our little brains don't hold the, the messages very long. You, you got to keep going back and reading the scriptures and reading the, the wise commentators and the scholars and spiritual leaders and stuff. Uh, another thing is, uh, I know Portland has some meeting, some masses that are available, the, the Ecclesianostic church there and you know you can probably find a number of esoteric uh, meetings online uh, i'm going to my first mass at the los angeles ecclesianostic congregation um tomorrow for the first time in a couple of months and so um you know to the extent that local churches are opening you don't have to sit next to anybody but you can go and um i there there is certainly evidence that the mass of any form does tend to generate positive spiritual energy. The, um, a number of psychics have sensed it. So there are resources out there. You know, you can go to the local Buddhist temple. Um, I'm a big fan of the Hare Krishnas, and, um, you know, I love going to their ceremonies. And, uh, you know, go find something that will give you some spiritual sustenance to get you through these times. Awesome, and thank you. Quite a sermon there, Scott. I'm glad you're going to go see Bishop Heller tomorrow at the Mass. And man, I haven't gone to a meeting in like two months. Bad, bad. And I don't. I hate doing online meetings, so I guess I need to get my my manure together. But I have kept a very healthy spiritual practice. And yes, those books that I'd love to reread. 
So uh, just as a quick update again, this is Aeon Bond Live. If you have any questions, please write them down in the chat room in caps, many question marks. We will get to them. There were some interesting ones I saw flashing down there. Everybody's giving some good advice on diet, spirituality, and all that good stuff. But so, Vince, why don't uh, would you like to give us your take of uh, uh, the pandemic? Have you how you've dealt with it, or anything else, or would you just sure. like to give us the questions from the audience, or both? Well. I haven't seen many questions uh, in this session. I think people are just cogitating. So, um, and if anybody um, has had a question in there and I missed it, um, make it obvious, put it in caps or big question marks before or whatever. Oh, somebody wants to know what Aeon is. That's define Aeon. But, um, yeah, we can get to uh, that soon. Yeah, we'll get to that. Well, um, I see a couple of things in this pandemic. Number one, I see a breakdown of science because we have too many different um, opinions and it's almost like, oh gosh, we've never seen a pandemic before. We've never, I mean, we've had the influenza with us for a long time. And I find it hard to believe that they don't know more about transmission than it seems that the unfolding events over the past three months have shown that they know. There have been a lot of things like the uh, the WHO uh, said, oh, you know, there's just recently there's a uh, casual transmission doesn't happen. And then they backed off on it. And that, which brings me to the next thing, which is the media has done a horrible job, I think, at, um, at you know, well, they've done a good job at scaring people. They've done a horrible <laughs> job. <laughs> at, Fear at, porn. They're great at it. <laughs> uh-huh. And, uh, for example, you know, they keep on reporting, oh, number of cases, number of cases. Well, you know, first of all, number of cases uh, uh, compared to the population is better measurement. And also, it's uh, the amount of testing is important. And they never factor that into the statistics. It's just, oh, we have more. So if they test more, oh, wow, we have an explosion of cases. Well, maybe it's – I remember in high school we used to uh, have these debates in um, – uh, you know, between the high schools about um, gun control, right? And uh, one of the things was is that different cities reported, um, you know, gun crime at different rates. Some reported a lot more, some a lot less. And so, you know, that's when I first was exposed to this fallacy of statistics. And I remember uh, uh, some, seeing something with Bill Gates was in an interview and he had a stack of books next to him. And one of them was the famous How to Lie with Statistics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I read that book. It's interesting. <laughs> Long time ago. Um, so our institutions don't seem to be doing a good job, you know, and, mm -hmm. and which brings me to the other thing who's benefiting by this and mm -hmm. you can definitely see like the, like both sides of the aisle are trying to benefit or manipulate you know like one side wants to wreck the country so that oh we can save you and the other kind wants to say well oh we we have the great economy and so forth and this is just a little i mean it's like everybody's jockeying for advantage you know i'm not going to blame one side or the other at this point and then um it's like we're being kicked when we're down. Just when the COVID has really weakened the country's economy and gotten people down, then we have, you know, the uh, the unfortunate incident in Minneapolis where that guy was killed by you know police brutality, and all of a sudden, bam! It's like a tinderbox. It's like 
lights the whole country on fire. Well, I think because we're um, we're all weak now, you know, like it's like we're we're down, and that's why it flares up. You know, like when there's no rain and everything gets dry, then like one little match just lights the whole thing up. So that's one another thing. And the 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 uh, the sacred cows, just about everybody is paying homage and laying down and being obeisant and everything as if they were personally guilty. And um, I don't like to see that, you know, I do want to see people say, um, say that we should eliminate brutality and we should eliminate, you know, thuggery on both sides of the street, but there's so much more and the media only shows one angle of it. We don't see a good, uh, and, and, and really it's bringing out the inherent distortions that our media um, practices all the time. It's polarized. You know, we got one side and the other side. What happened to the good old thing? Well, let's report what's happening and try to be balanced. What happened to that? I don't know. But the bottom line is, well, one more thing is I think we have a population problem. We've got a lot of people and that drives what Scott was saying, where we institutional farming and the antibiotics, mm -hmm. you know, it, things don't scale, doesn't scale. Uh, and I'm not sure if there's a solution to it. I don't know what the solution is because you got all these people you got to feed. And so even vegetables, there's pesticides and so forth. So, you know, even if we all went vegetarian, it wouldn't. And as one of the persons in the uh, chat room pointed out, um, that wouldn't solve our, our problems entirely. So at the end of the day, we have a struggle between the collective and the individual, that age old struggle. And um, it's, endemic you know it's, it's just goes across the board it goes across the board the struggle between the individual and the collective and that's really you know 1984 george Orwell, you know it was all about that and we gnostics you know tend to like to be individuals but i think you need a balance mm -hmm. because you know what's good for um the individual uh, is not necessarily just totally in isolated individuals you've got to have the support of everyone else around and pandemics somebody i read some, some pandemics automatically bring out the need for the collective because you have to attack the enemy as as a unit and so that's why these pandemic situations bring out the uh, this individual versus uh, collective thing so those are my thoughts as far as how i've kept it uh, i have to admit um my coping mechanisms aren't primarily spiritual, I don't think, and that, that kind of disappoints me. And I'm disappointed in myself that I don't have more spiritual resources. When my mom and dad died, I did have that. This time around, somehow, I don't have it. Um, but what I do is I keep myself busy, either with work or play video games or watch binge watch television, or I keep myself my mind busy and don't let my mind wander off into the oh my god the world's ending and all that stuff try to keep away from that so basically mental discipline is what i'm practicing right now well said and agreed yes the mind is uh, what's it saying the mind is a a wonderful servant but a terrible master <laughs> this once they start hitting you with the you start they start attacking the anxiety and the fear you have to attack the anxiety and the fear because they're tugging everybody's tugging at those strings because that's how they get us to jump through hoops and that's how they get us to yep. be loyal customers for whatever they're selling 
again, doesn't matter which side, which corporation. It's, like Laney said, everybody's just exposed themselves as grifters. <laughs> so pretty much everybody has an agenda. It doesn't matter what the body count is or the yeah. damage. And uh, maybe, maybe it's my jaded Gnostic eyes. So. Follow the money, right? <laughs> yeah, follow the yellow and power. Paper. Yes, exactly. Somebody's benefiting. Somebody's getting rich. Somebody's getting very powerful. And unfortunately, both with the virus and the social unrest, it's the inner city people, the inner city small businessmen. They're the ones who get hosed because that's how it usually happens in these eras. So any questions from the audience, Vance, that you see? Well, I was blind while I was uh, <laughs> jabbing my jaw. So <laughs> I saw some question marks. I couldn't catch them. Sorry, guys, in the chat room. Good to see everybody. Um, well, let me see if you see any questions. Good to see Amanda B. Pleuromic Pastry. Uh, I saw a cult fan. Yeah, a lot of always a lot of good people and good insights. Welcome everybody who, welcome everybody. Altrusian Grace Media. Always good to see you. Here's a good one. How yeah. would the ancient Gnostics react to the turmoil we're in? Would they be on board to burn down the institutions? Would they be in agreement with Antifa? Here's one. Uh, oops, that was me. Um, I'll see, let the rest of the panelists ask the question. Uh, I have bad news for you, or it may be good news, but I do think Antifa is Gnostic to an extent. Uh, not fully ah. Gnostic. Yes, they are. I hate to say it. I mean, I've talked to Chris Knows about it. They will accept, I don't think the Gnostics would physically burn things down, but it was their intense rebellion against uh, reality. And as uh, Eric Davis writes in his new book, uh, High Weirdness, Things have changed in the in ancient times. Well, not for me, but in ancient times, gnosis was a spiritual thing. Now, gnosis is akin to uh, rebelling or going against the grain of society, going completely and violently against uh, the structures of society. So, in a case, you could I would say Antifa is Gnostic. I would also say QAnon is Gnostic. Again, uh, there's uh, the ancient Gnostics were varied, and they would argue. And um, not fully Gnostic. Uh, I think they're forgetting one small component. But uh, anyway, what do you think, Lainey, about the question? You know, I, I think it's an interesting question. I have to wonder if the ancient Gnostics living under empire and in those conditions would have been uh, far less surprised about all this. I mean, one of the things that's struck me about this is many of us, and uh, as Scott brought up earlier, we, we've been, we're being shaken awake because we've really gotten very complacent. And uh, my suspicion is the ancient Gnostics would have had a lot more on the ball and not been caught out so unawares here. I'm, you know, remember reminding uh, when, when Scott was talking, um, I also do consumer affairs writing and reporting. And the one thing that people are finding is that the fine print on all those disclaimer forms that you sign when you buy a product or a service, may, you know, it's rendered null and void if there's a pandemic or civil unrest. And everybody just kind of, their eyes is just, you know, go right over there and they sign everything. They don't even think about it because people living in the U.S., in many places in the U.S., not even a consideration. And now, of course, they can't get a refund on their, on their, cruise, uh, their cruise or their tour someplace and they're, they're up in arms about it. You signed it, but that's how insulated I think a lot of us are here in the U.S. Uh, and among the more affluent uh, classes. And suddenly, um, suddenly the fine print matters more 
And um, maybe, they, and again, that, that's our wake-up call. Uh, but I have a feeling that the ancient Gnostics may have been a heck of a lot more uh, attuned to the fact that, yes, things can go wrong very quickly and very badly. Definitely. And uh, again, what made the ancient Gnostics so dangerous or was their ideas, at least the empire and these other institutions thought of them dangerous. It was their ideas that really set fire they weren't actually out there burning things mm. or anything like that. So that would be different. And again, there's still components missing to some of these modern Gnostic movements that the ancients had and that we've forgotten, but uh, such is the time. Scott, what do you have to say to this? Well, I think that if you look at the historic Gnostic movements that were the most successful um, in terms of they're being widespread. Uh, the Marcionites, the Manichaeans, and even the medieval Cathars, um, they were very successful in uh, making a difference in the daily lives of their acolytes. Um, when you go back and you read such histories as can be put together, um, they were, you know, I think everybody knows the Cathars, were highly respected even by their enemies in southern France, but they had a tremendous impact on daily life in general, um, kind of the, the chivalry uh, uh, ethic, you might say. Um, and when you go back, uh, the, the, those who were involved in, in the Manichaean uh, movement you know, this spread from Europe out to China. Uh, they weren't particularly known as rebels. They were known mostly as good citizens. The Marcionites um, seemed to have a very positive influence. So um, I think it's certainly possible not to be um, Antifa uh, member and still be a good Gnostic. Um, obviously these things are open to interpretation. Like what would you do, you know, against the Nazis? What would be the Gnostic position? Um, you know, there's no dogma. Um, I, I like uh, what, how Jerry Brown once described himself as a radical moderate. Um, I did a, a, one of the Eon Byte uh, interviews called um, Gnosticism in the 21st Century, where I made the argument that uh, because Gnosticism has not been part of the power structure, um, there were some moments where um, there were some uh, state governments in ancient times where uh, the, the king became Gnostic or something like that. But, you know, by and large, we've been kind of out of the mainstream of political power. And I think that you can uh, accept the fact that we got here somehow probably, I would argue, based on the mythology by a cosmic mistake, um, as I've argued in God Reconsidered, and that uh, that doesn't mean that we need to commit suicide to get back to uh, our true home. Uh, I think that uh, the consensus of the Gnostic seers has been, hey, we're here, let's do what we feel is going to be a positive Thing in this society where we find ourselves. Uh, let's not go out and be drug dealers and criminals because that harms other people and harms ourselves and our family. Um, let's try to help others. Let's try to be supportive. 
And, um, you know, let's not buy 10 machine guns and go out and massacre people. Uh, so I think that there's this kind of sense in Gnosticism of um, what Jesus said was being in the world, but not of it. Uh, you can vote, you can support a political candidate you think has more of a, a good position than the alternatives because somebody's got a rule. Um, you can be active against evil. And, um, you know, if you feel like uh, there, there is an injustice out there and you can uh, be active in some way, um, I think this is all uh, in harmony with an enlightened attitude that doesn't go to the extremes of either trying to force the unbelievers to uh, join your cult or completely disconnected, you know, um, up in our uh, fortress, uh, separate from the so-called real world. Um, so I think you can be active. And I, you know, over at Ecclesia Gnostica, I'd say probably about uh, this being Los Angeles, probably about half the congregation is, is liberal. Uh, a, a, probably a quarter would be pretty conservative, including uh, Bishop Heller, because he lived under the Nazis and the Soviets. And a quarter are probably pretty strongly libertarian. So you can find a political philosophy that um, I think is important to follow um, in order to make a difference in the world that we find ourselves stuck in. And uh, so I, I've been involved in politics and trying to support candidates that I thought were the best choices. But, you know, we're living in an imperfect world. The founders of America knew that this was an extraordinary experiment that had never worked other than for a few decades, uh, 2,500 years ago in Greece. And uh, they were trying to put together a democracy where uh, the majority would not oppress the minority, the political minority, and that we could find principled compromises. We, you know, this democracy doesn't lend itself to extremists on the left or the right or any other position. If you're going to bring about positive change, you have to not try to impose your viewpoint on everybody. You have to say, you know something, I really believe in vegetarianism, but I'm not going to, you know, um, ban meat, you know, or whatever the particular thing is. Uh, you have to say, you know something, I'm not happy with the fact that we're only going to get 10% change here, but if this improves public safety, or if this uh, will protect people, it may not be the ideal solution, but you know, when you're part of uh, a secular society, you have to be involved in trying to improve it in some way. You know, may pick a cause, whether it's maybe improving your school or you know, electing candidates that are a little better than your current one. So, I think there's a good argument to be made for Gnostics to be involved without getting too caught up in, uh, you know, the, uh, the PTSD of the daily news. <laughs> yeah, that is true. That was a long winded way to tell us you're voting for Trump, Scott, but thanks for uh, saying that. <laughs> I doubt it. I doubt it. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, that's my thing is, yes, I want to, 
help culture, but I am not buying into the two-party system anymore. I am done. I'm Ooh, glad yeah. the Kool-Aid's off, the spell is off, and I am free. I don't know what <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm going to do. Free hey, to maybe it's... Free. Maybe it's time for my uh, multidimensional political uh, um, system. Uh, do you remember that? My Actually, it uh, started out as a three-dimensional system. <clears throat> There's left and right, up and down, and, and forward and backward. Right? <laughs> and so, and this is very pertinent because, okay, left is like mother, nurturing, collective, do I want to take care of everybody. Right is individual, every man for himself, be strong, you know, be independent. Okay, you got that, but just that. Now, up is more freedom, right? In other words, uh, and down is more restriction, okay? So up, up, up is freedom and down is restriction. And then forward is we want to progress and use science and so forth and human knowledge to try to improve society. And backwards say, this isn't working. Uh, well, let's go back to the old ways, you know? So um, a lot of people don't realize that when you say conservative, that's re- respect to what you have now. So in the Soviet Union, if you were conservative, you were a communist <laughs> because that's what they had now. <laughs> but so, so if, if we characterize politicians along the three-dimensional space as opposed to the unidimensional left and right, we might be able to see, you know, and there are all kinds, you know, there are people that are, you know, um, have socialistic ideas but don't want to impose it or restrict people or so forth. They just want to make collectives and, you know, and the whole different combinations. But if we, if we thought along those lines, we have to revise the way we think about uh, politics, I think. This uh, <coughs> left and right, Republicans, Democrats, everything. It's, not, it's just not working. No, that's where I agree. Bernie, that's one place I think we just have to burn it to the ground. Sorry. It's weird. Christian is asking questions in the Zoom chat room. I wonder why you want to oh. just jump on. I don't know. Christian, you were supposed to be a guest. You don't have to ask questions, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. Well, what name is he under? Well, you see under participants, there's five. I was wondering, who's the fifth? Does the Holy Spirit join us? Do you see that at the bottom, Vance? To the uh, right of stop video? No. Oh, you don't get what I get? Yeah, I oh, see. Wait it. a minute. I see. It. I see it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I see. I see. He's in the Zoom. Yeah. The Zoom chat. <laughs> uh, no, I, I wasn't even watching that. Yeah, it's like he's he's a ghost somewhere. I don't know. He's what saying it. he doesn't. He isn't sure why he wasn't able to join. You just clicked the Zoom invitation from the email I sent you. But if he's on the he's Zoom chat, yeah, I mean, he, he he got into the Zoom chat. He's yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah, I don't know what he did. I think if you don't. With the webinars, if you click the link outside of your email, you become a participant. That's why you always have to click it within your email. That's what I've learned about webinars, different than Zooms. But um, So if you go see your email, uh, Christian, you want to jump in, we're waiting for you. If not, um, ask away. You clicked the link. Man, the archons have been hard on us tonight, haven't they? Oh, always, always, especially. Well, what do you expect from those who perpetuated the coronavirus <laughs> no solutions please yeah we worked very hard on our lab to bring this thing out to the world oh boy uh, vance any questions that you see from the audience they're going fast and furious and having some interesting conversations yeah oh, well i do have a couple i um i uh strained out of the chat a moment ago um 
Oswald Spengler wants to know how long Scott and Laney think the pandemic will last officially. That's a bit of how long I think it's going to last. Yeah, yeah. Let's have Laney first. Yeah, no, I mean, um, and as you know, I'm not a medical professional. I'm just I've been a volunteer, and that's all that I am. Um, I'm I'm I've been pulling the, the the two year figure. Um, and I, when I'm saying two years from this past, from this past, or, you know, early in the year, early 2020, um, I think, as I said, you know, I keep telling people this and I wish, I wish that public health officials and the media would insist on clear language when talking to people because they're using this term novel coronavirus. Well, novel means new. And you get panicked people on the phone I'm talking to all over the place. And I said, look, Novel means new. It's a new virus. We're all learning at the same time. Oh, and they'd immediately calm down and they'd be okay with the fact that they were getting different bits of information. But I think that it's, you know, they're still, people are still getting up to speed with what this virus is, what it does. I've been reading some very weird <coughs> stuff, uh, some, some symptoms and some things that are coming up. And then we've got to work on that vaccine. There's got to be a trial. And then you've got to persuade a skeptical public to take the vaccine, if they're willing to do that. Um, so, I mean, I personally, I, I would say, or I'm going to say that we're probably looking at about two years from when it began to really hit here in the U.S., but that's, you know, that's just my layperson's opinion. Wow. Yeah, I don't, uh, I'm going to say it right here. I think I've only told Vance this, but I think it's, uh, I think it's man-made. And this is completely anecdotal. I have no facts to it. But the only fact I have, and I told Vance, is I actually had the virus in March. Uh, mm-hmm. Somebody in our office had. He had to be ho- hospitalized. And I just had a really bad flu. But I've never hallucinated with a flu before. I was just like, I was seeing things. And my, I felt like it was re- I was being invaded. I kept telling my wife I thought I'd been possessed. And then later we find out I had the virus. So, um, hmm. but again, this is complete speculation. It's based on a vision. Not all my visions come true. So, but, and it's neither here nor there. So what do you think, Scott? How long will the virus last? Well, let's remember that they've already been through this since uh, the end of December in Asia. So you can look there. They've had very few deaths per million, as I cited before. I mean, look at the Philippines where you have 11 of the densest, most populated uh, 50 cities in the world, and they've, they've had like nine deaths per million. Uh, Asia's done pretty well. There have been, mm-hmm. to the last time I looked, none, no deaths in Vietnam or Cambodia, for example. Um, so, I and, and from the CEOs that I've interviewed, um, the factories are up and running and so forth. Now, 20 years ago when I was in Japan, uh, every 10th person had a mask because it mm-hmm. was impolite to infect other people. Mm-hmm. And I thought, man, you'll never get Americans to do this, you know. Um, so, the, the Asians are a little more used to kind of working with restrictions, especially with more authoritarian regimes and stuff and we're dumber and more mm-hmm. independent and 
And you're not uh, counting China, are you? Because those numbers are juggled. I looked at that graph, and all of a sudden, okay, so somebody the, decided. <laughs> well, let me let me answer the China thing. Uh, forget about China for the moment. Look at Taiwan. They have like 0.8 deaths per million. Uh, and you go through Korea, and you go through all of Asia, and uh, they're in they're in line with China. Uh, so China's not unusual, and as I said, the the factories are running again now. They are doing their social distancing to the extent that the crowded Asian cities can, and they they're used to using masks and and they do contact tracing, which I know is anathema to Americans, but. Uh, they've been very successful at controlling this without a vaccine. And there are lots of epidemic uh, that never get the vaccine. Uh, they, the virus evolves uh, into less harmful ones. And uh, we find other ways like with AIDS to kind of deal with these things. So um, I'm a little more optimistic. I think that um, if people quit doing stupid things like, you know, taking off their masks because they're next to each other in the beach or going on these protests without masks and stuff like that. Uh, and, and we don't go to nightclubs and sit next to each other and talk loudly and get drunk and everything or whatever people are doing. Uh, we can significantly reduce it. I mean, here in California, uh, our deaths per 100,000 is about 11, you know, and you can compare that with New York, where they did a lot of stupid things. And uh, really last stupid time, things. Yeah, like uh, 154 versus 11 here. Uh, LA County is a kind of a, a similar kind of thing. And remember, 40% of the deaths are due to the nursing homes. You know, when you crowd in a whole bunch of people who are taking three drugs and they were stuck in the nursing home because the relatives couldn't deal with them anymore and they're being attended by uh, people who are earning eight dollars an hour mm -hmm. uh, without masks without equipment and the greedy nursing home owners are trying to squeeze out every penny and you know all the other stuff Ob the the expert should have seen this coming mm -hmm. uh, this was all preventable you didn't see this kind of thing happening in other countries just logic would have said you know before we started celebrating the middle of April the sex of the lockdown you know, we could have significantly reduced this. So um, now that we've learned a few lessons, hopefully people will be sensible. Um, there's no conspiracy just making this thing up. This is a real thing. And, um, you know, whatever the origins of it were, uh, we have to deal with the fact that it's here. And, um, you know, I was surprised to hear Fauci uh, say that he thought it was plausible by December to have a vaccine. Of course, it still has to be distributed and, you know, people have to take it and all that kind of stuff. So my attitude would be if we're prudent uh, and we have some restrictions and we're careful about, you know, how we handle retail and restaurants. And there are lots of ways uh, that restaurants can thrive without the traditional, uh, you know, they can sit outside uh, pick up and take out and, um, and some other things and, you know, gradually just be, do things more carefully, you know, have throwaway menus and everything like that. Um, 
we're not going to return to normal for a long time. But I think within a year, things will be much better. I think that, um, you know, you can go to outdoor activities. Uh, but I do think people underestimate the importance of sanitation of hands. And this is something that I learned in the healthcare field mm -hmm. uh, because um, I didn't want to get colds or flu. I work as a nutrition consultant at a big retail chain. And, uh, you know, the customers come in with a cold and they handle all your products and stuff like that. So uh, I have managed to barely have a cold in 45 years. I've not been seriously sick in 45 years since I started on this whole foods vegetarian diet. And I take about 20 supplements and I've talked about this in interviews uh, and uh, in some of my blogs and stuff. So the point is we can become safer, we can be more careful and we can live with the virus just like we do with many other diseases. And, um, you know, we, we won't have, I don't think, a booming economy for a while, but, you know, we can certainly improve from where we are now. And uh, I think things will overall be better uh, in, you know, in a few months. I was even surprised to see Fauci say, well, if we're prudent, there may not be a second wave, which everybody's been talking about. And there you have it, my beloved true seekers. The first part of our discussion with Lainey Peterson, Scott Smith, and the Moondog. We continue with the force of the aeons in the second part and get into some of the latest in Gnosticism and some on classic Gnostic concepts. The audio version is always a cool listen if you leverage the private RSS from AB Prime or Patreon that works in the podcast provider of your choice. So please become a member or Patreon and support this Red Pill Cafeteria. Go to thegodabovegod.com for means to assist and get the infernal rewards. Or just contact me. I can't do it without you. And if you've got holes in your pockets due to the monkey shines of Archons, just message me and I'll give you a show on the house. I know these are mindfuck times, and the alternative spirituality and philosophy of the Gnostics is more important than ever. Might be the only way to counteract the boot Yaldi Baldi has placed on the collective consciousness of humanity. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself your true self, here in the desert of the real. Hello and goodbye, as always.
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.